somewhere outside of Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning podcast, Reality. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for listening tonight. As always, my name is Sandman, and I'm going to be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call para-reality. Well, before we get into tonight's episode, let me tell all of you guys out there how you can contact me here at the show, just in case you've got something you want to say to me. You know, there are several different ways you can go about it, and here they are. First off, you can always email me. That is the quickest and easiest way to contact me here at the podcast. The email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Secondly, you can always find me on Facebook by going to the Parareality page on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. And, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My username on both of those Twitter and Instagram is at Radio. That's at Radio, all one word, both on Twitter and Instagram. So those are the all the ways that you can contact me, Sandman, here on the podcast. In case you got something you want to ask me, comment, questions, like the show, dislike the show, got an idea for a episode of the podcast, whatever, if you want to contact me, those are all the ways that you can do it. Oh, almost forgot about the, the phone line. The bunker here got a, got a studio line, hotline, straight directly into the secret bunker here. You can always call that and leave a message, too. The number to dial is 615-692-1170. That number, once again, is 615-692-1170. Just leave a message there on the studio line here in the secret bunker. Um, the uh, cutoff time is, I think, the three minutes that you've got. If you've got a comment or a question or, or whatever that you want to you know, call and leave, it's about a three-minute time limit. So if you get cut off, just uh, pick up the phone and start back up where you left off after you redial that number, 615-692-1170. But I just want you to remember now that simply by leaving me a message on the studio line is giving me permission to play your message back on the air. So if you don't want me to do that, you need to tell me somewhere in your message that you don't want me to play that back. Otherwise, the chances are pretty high that I'll do it. And don't worry, I don't play. uh, If you leave your name or contact information, I will not play that back on the air. That is to remain confidential between you and I. Unless you tell me I want you to give my email address and contact info out, which I probably still won't do anyway. I don't know. I have problems with that. But, yeah, don't be afraid to leave a message on that studio line. Your identity will remain confidential. I'm not going to reveal last names. I'm not going to reveal email addresses or telephone numbers or anything like that. So those are all the ways you can contact me here on the show. Email sandman at parareality.com. Leave me a message on Facebook or write a comment on my Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash 
sandman.parareality. Or hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Radio, Or call that studio line. Leave me a message here. 615-692-1170. So those are all the ways that you can get hold of me here on the podcast. Man, I've had a creative block, everybody. I've been... This, this time of year is really busy for work for me it's super busy in the month of March traditionally and uh, this month has been no difference I, I, I just I've been so busy with the day job that I haven't had a lot of time to devote to the podcast and usually by the day that I'm here in the bunker recording I've come up you know with my topic and I've done some research and put together a script and I'm all ready to go and I just come in, and I sit down, and hit record, and I, I, I go to it. But that's not the case tonight. Because I've been so busy with other areas of my life, i.e. work, I didn't have a topic picked out for this episode. And when I sat down at the computer at, at home to try to figure something out, I couldn't. I got nothing. I thought about doing an episode on paranormal investigation equipment, but I've done that already. It's been a few years, but I've already done that. I thought about doing a something like a top 10 list of urban myths that actually have turned out to be true, but I ultimately decided that I really didn't like that topic. And I even thought about doing something on famous UFO cases here in my home state of Tennessee, but once again, I ultimately decided against that too. I just couldn't come up with anything. And I was contemplating not even having an episode this week. So what I did was I decided to, to take, take a break and, and quit trying so hard to come up with something. And I'm like, I'm just going to leave because I sit here in front of the computer Oh, God, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, something like that. And I just could not come up with anything. And so I had to take a break. And I turned on the TV to scroll through my DVR and settled on a recent episode of Monster Quest, I think, that they did in December. So it's not not too recent, but not too old, right? And they were talking about the urban legend of alligators living in the sewers of New York. And that's when it hit me. That's exactly the kind of topic that I do here on the show, right? And that's something that I need to address here on Parareality. So here I am talking to you about the possibility of gators in the sewers. Now, is this something that's real? Does it have any teeth to it, pun intended there? What are the possibilities that alligators could actually survive in those conditions that are found in the sewers of New York? Well, I've done some research on this. I've done some investigating. And to learn more, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. But as always, before we get into it, It's time for fan mail. 
one of my favorite times of the podcast. And this, once again, comes from Twitter. Um, this is at APN Slickback. APN underscore Slickback, to be more precise. And he writes, or she, I think this is a he, have you ever heard of Marshall Vian Summers, and are you familiar with his work? A few years ago, a friend of mine has enough trust in me to reveal he is a full-on believer of this man's message, which is detailed in his many books. Well, at APN Slickback, thank you for getting in touch with me on Twitter and for that tweet. And uh, to answer the question, uh, the short version is yes, I have heard of Marshall Vian Summers. Um, he is a, uh, a religious person. Uh, I guess you could say he is a uh, evangelist who promotes exotheology, and that's really all I know about him. Um, if you don't know what exotheology is, it's basically that uh, a religious viewpoint that there is life on other planets, and um, that's it in a nutshell, really. So um, it's kind of exotheology is kind of uh, a new thing to uh, the world of religion or the area of religion. And uh, yeah, so I have heard of this guy, Marshall Vian Summers. I know that he promotes exotheology, and that's really it. I've never read any of his books. I know that he's written several. I've never um, looked anything up on this guy on YouTube or anything of that nature. Um, just haven't really investigated this guy a whole heck of a lot. So that's all I know is that he uh, promotes exotheology. So if you've got something, uh, APN Slickback, if you've got something that uh, you want me to look up, if you've got something specific in mind when you're talking about this guy, let me know and, um, you know, turn me on to it and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll check it out. I'm always looking for topics for the show, so maybe this is something that I could uh, – I could possibly do here on the podcast, maybe even get get this guy on. Um, it's always an idea. I'm always looking for guests for the show, so maybe that's it. So, anyway, like I said, thanks APN Slickback for uh, for your question on Twitter. If you guys listening out there have a question for me or a comment, and you want to uh, ask me or tell me, then like I was saying just a minute ago, here's how you can do it. You can always. Email me, sandman at parareality.com. That's the quickest and easiest way to get in touch with me. Or you can do what seems to be the popular thing now these days is go on uh, Twitter or even Instagram. Ask me a question there. My username on both of those is at Radio. That's at Radio. You can even go on my Facebook page, ask me a question on Facebook either. Or go send me a uh, slide into my DMs on Facebook or just leave me a comment or question on the Facebook page, and that's facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. So that's it. That's that's how you can do it, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you once again, AP and Slickback. All right. Let's start talking about gators in the sewer. They're big. They're vicious, and some say they're albinos because of a lack of sunlight. What we're talking about here are the alligators that supposedly infest 
New York City's sewer system slithering through the bowels of the city just under the street level, feeding on rats and raccoons and rubbish and human excrement and basically terrorizing sewer workers who supposedly are armed with weapons, guns, if you will, for self-defense. These gators may be the city's most entrenched urban myth, one that's permeated pop culture has become a recurring theme in books, television shows, movies, and of course, the ever-loved conspiracy theories. That century-old myth has spawned hoaxes and art projects and stuff like that. It's even become an official quasi-holiday in the city. That's right, they have a Alligator in the Sewer Day, and that's held annually on February the 9th, if you can believe it or not. So just last month, they had Alligator in the Sewer Day. And the tales of these alligators roaming the sewers of New York are, well, they're, they're kind of true. The city rescues several alligators a year, typically their former pets that have been abandoned after having outgrown their, you know, tiny little cute face, right? But with every new sighting, the legend gets another boost. Reports in the New York Times of alligator sightings in the New York area go back more than a century. A 1907 article described a worker in Kearney, a New Jersey town about 12 miles from midtown Manhattan, who was bitten by a small gator while he cleaned out a sewer. And by the 1930s, news proliferated about sightings in and around New York City. Alligator sightings sometimes prompted hunting expeditions, like one that happened in 1932 after several alligators disappeared from captivity in a town along the uh, Passaic River in New Jersey. Um, Belleville, I believe, was the name of the town. That same year, the police mobilized a hunt in Westchester County, which is just north of New York City, after two boys brought in a three-foot-long dead alligator and said that the Bronx River was where they got it and that it was absolutely swarming with live alligators. And armed with fishing nets and chunks of, of uh, calves liver, the police officers combed the jungles of the Bronx River to capture alligators for the Bronx Zoo. And this was reported in the New York Times. Unfortunately, the hunt was discontinued when police realized that the boys had merely found an escaped pet and that the river was not swarming with live alligators, as the boys had claimed. By the 1930s, advertisements for purchasing baby gators by mail were common in magazines like Popular Mechanics, believe it or not. Vacationers to Florida would buy live alligators as souvenirs and bring them back to New York as pets. 
what the hell they thought they were going to do with these things. I have no idea because once these cute little alligators got too big, as the theory goes, they would often wind up in the sewer after being flushed down a toilet or dumped down into a street drain. Now, I, I have absolutely no doubts that this actually happened, that people did flush their little loved, beloved baby gator down the toilet or throw them out down the, down the drains and the sewers. I have absolutely no doubt, but did they survive? That's the, that's the big question. Is it, is this, are the sewers a viable place for an alligator to thrive? Back then, it was a time when all these alligators were being brought up to New York and either escaping of their own or being let loose by these people who realized, oh shit, this thing's going to grow up to be this big honking creature. What am I going to do with it? I can't, I can't keep it in the bathtub. It's going to get too big. The Seminole New York City Sewer Gator event came on the 9th of February, 1935, which is why we have, you know, the holiday, the alligator in the sewer day. Because on February the 9th, 1935, some East Harlem teenage boys saw an alligator that was down a storm drain and they managed to somehow lasso it and they hauled it up. And um, when they got it up to street level, they found that it was about um, eight feet long after they measured it, weighed around 125 pounds. It started, you know, doing what alligators do, which is, you know, it's pissed off and it starts snap it at them trying to 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 bite them and they all had shovels so they just beat it to death with their shovels and after this you know the word got out because you know they're going to start talking about it and uh, the New York Times picked up on it and they actually ran a headline in the Times that said alligator found in uptown sewer and the article went on to speculate a lot, mainly that this uh, alligator had escaped from a passing steamer in the East River and had swam into uh, somehow swam into a sewer outflow pipe and then was somehow trapped in the sewers and that's when the boys saw it and pulled it up and then beat it to death. Now you fast forward a couple of years to 1937. There was a barge captain who pulled a four-foot-long, eight—it was actually over four foot, four feet eight-inch-long alligator out of the East River. Once again, he lassoed it, and um, the New York Times, or excuse me, the New York Herald Tribune newspaper got hold of this story, and uh, they ran with it and said that the uh, alligator was. Um, well, they said that uh, the tropical visitor, and I'm, I am quoting, the tropical visitor was clearly exhausted and seemed in no humor to fight. So the guy lassoed it around its two front legs, 
wrestled it in, pulled it up on the barge, and somehow contacted the newspaper or the newspaper somehow found out about it. They come down there, they look at it, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is an alligator, but it's exhausted is basically what the story is. And then a week later, you have a two-foot-long alligator crawling along a Brooklyn subway platform, a bunch of people standing down there, and this thing crawled out of a trash can where it had apparently been dumped, so the story goes, and it's just now crawling along the subway platform in Brooklyn. And there was a police officer that was down there. He jumped on it, and uh, another police officer came in with a rope and tied the jaw shut and uh, shipped it out and, I guess, sent it to a zoo or something. I don't think they killed it. So this gator legend was elevated even further by Teddy May, who was a New York City sewer official who reported spotting alligators in the sewers in the 1930s. Now, there's a lot of speculation about whether this guy, Teddy May, actually saw alligators down there or not, or whether he made the whole thing up. His job was to map the sewer system, and supposedly that was a very cush job, a very good job to have, and some speculate that he made up the whole thing about, about there being alligators in the city sewers to discourage other people from trying to get his job. In a book that was written in 1959 by a guy named Robert Daly, uh, he wrote that Teddy May was dubious when his crews first reported seeing a big albino alligator in the sewer system. And they also reported seeing various other gator colonies down there. So he went down there, May did, to prove to everyone that there weren't any alligators in the sewer, according to the book. And then after he got down there, he saw the alligators for himself, and uh, he came back up to the surface and was like, go arm yourselves, men, and they all came back with, with weapons, rifles, and stuff to hunt down the alligators. So you have one story of it being true where he's, you know, Teddy was told, hey, there's, there's all these alligators down there. He went down there basically to disprove that, you know, prove to these guys that they were wrong, came back up and said, oh, shit, you're right. They got guns, go down there and start shooting up alligators. And then you have the other story, which is this guy uh, made it all up to keep people from trying to get his job. Now, his feat about finding the alligators and arming himself and him and his men up and going down and, and shooting them up, it was also written about in a 1954 column by a Pulitzer-winning reporter for the New York Times named Meyer Berger. And um, in, when um, May died in 1960, his obituary in the Times 
credited him with having, and I quote, led a squad in clearing the sewers of a number of live alligators that discarded in the sewers as tiny pets had survived and grown large. So this thing was largely revolving around May. And apparently that is where the legend really took up steam here. Now, while Mr. May's 1959 account seems to me, uh, let's just say, embellished, um, Mr. Daly told the Times and, uh, back in 2009 that he believed Mr. May's story uh, was true, even if the numbers were exaggerated. So even up to modern times, 21st century, there's still people who are saying that this guy's story was absolutely 100% true. But the chances of us ever knowing that for sure is probably very slim to none. But I, I kind of tend to think that this guy was, uh, he either made up the story to um, uh, keep people from getting his job, like like what the rumors are, or he made up the story to um, put himself on a pedestal, so to speak, and maybe give himself, you know, his 15 minutes of fame. And it obviously, if that was his intent, obviously worked, worked out really well in his favor, although posthumously. Now, this kind of brings us to the 20th century, up to, well, he was already in the 20th century. This kind of brings us up to a little bit more modern times, let me say. There was a movie in 1980 that I saw when I was a kid, and it was called Alligator. Now, it was, I think it's, if you were to categorize it, it's a horror comedy. Uh, when I was a kid and I first saw it, it was just a horror movie to me. And I freaking... Uh, I was, you know, 1980, so I was a kid, and I thought this was, like, such a cool movie. But the, the premise of this movie is that there's a baby alligator that's flushed down the toilet in some, you know, nondescript, unnamed city here and becomes a, a gigantic, killer, mutated alligator because it ate a bunch of discarded lab rats in the sewer that were injected with growth hormones. So this thing becomes like this super gator, this really large, like three times larger than normal alligator that's living in the sewers, and it attacks all these people. And they, they bring in a, um, you know, uh, hunter a wild game hunter to uh, take care of the situation. And of course, you know, he gets killed and eaten or whatever. And the, uh, the, the main protagonist, the, the bad guy is some old million. It's been a long time since I've seen this. I'm trying to recall. So this may not be 100% accurate, but the, is the, the, I think the guy that, that owned the lab company where they were injecting the rats and shit or whatever, but, uh, he was this old millionaire guy, and he was trying to keep everything hush-hush, and he was having a, an event at his mansion. I can't remember if it was like a 
a wedding or a birthday party or something like that, but some event where all the cities, like big wigs and all these rich people were there, and the alligator comes up and attacks the the party that's going on, and the old guy's trying to escape, and he gets in a, his limousine, and the alligator alligator goes up to the limousine and smashes the hell out of the limousine with its huge alligator tail. It it is just it's a wild wild movie. It if you've ever seen Chud, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, it's kind of in that vein of Chud where you've got some mutated something living in the sewers underground that no one knows about and then when they find out about it it's too late. And it's it's just a your typical cheap low budget nineteen eighties horror flick, but it's so fun to watch. And if you've never seen it, it's called Alligator, made in nineteen eighty, I believe. And it, you you should you should watch it. I would say go down to Blockbuster and get it, but there's no more Blockbusters. You can't go to Hollywood Video and rent it anymore because there's no more Hollywood Video. But maybe you can find it on Amazon or Netflix or YouTube or something. But it's around out there somewhere. And I highly suggest that you watch it. And if you haven't seen Chud, Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers, you need to see that one too. Make it a double feature. I don't care which one you watch first, but you need to see both of those. Great 80s horror schlock. (laughs) Man, even porno films weren't immune to this gator legend thing. There was a 1975 porn called uh, Suprentis RN, and it's about a uh, bunch of nurses who are treating a team of scuba divers uh, who are recovering after coming back from a gator hunting expedition in New York City's sewers. Now, I've never seen this. I just found this out when I was doing research for this episode. Um, maybe I should look this up. I don't know. It sounds like something that would be lots of fun to watch if you're into 1975, 1970s porn. Sue Prentice, RN. Got to look it up. So if you're under the age of 18, I don't advise looking this up, by the way. I do not condone pornography. And I don't want you to try to look this up if you're under the age of 18. I'm not not condoning that. That's a bad thing. Don't do it. It's no bueno. Adults only here. So uh, anyway, I got off on a little tangent about movies there because I I love movies. I'm a movie buff. So uh, in 1982, there's a column written in the Times. uh, The author, Anna Quindlin, she interviewed a New York City sewer chief by the name of John T. Flattery, whom she called the city's resident expert on the most durable urban myth in the history of cities, reptiles, or waste disposal. Uh, So um, Mr. Flattery's list of sewer sightings included things like rats, insects, stray fish, dead bodies, of course, and even street gang clubhouses, but no gators. Yet he said he constantly responded to letters from people asking about albino gators or wondering if sewer workers did actually, in fact, carry pistols to protect them from the ravages of these alligators. And in 1982, 
A two-foot alligator was found swimming in a Westchester County reservoir that's part of New York City's water supply. The city's Department of Environmental Protection, or the DEP as it's known, which oversees the sewer and drinking water system, organized a, a boat expedition to capture the gator, which workers lassoed and captured, gave it to the Bronx Zoo. Now, inquiries from around the world about sewer alligators are still fielded by this department. And believe it or not, the mascot of the DEP was once a alligator wearing sunglasses, and it was coming out from a manhole. And the city sold T-shirts with that mascot on it for years. And the slogan was, The Legend Lives. And I've seen pictures of this T-shirt, and it's a pretty cool little T-shirt. But, you know, when you've got the city, especially the Department of Environmental Protection, which oversees the sewer and drinking water system, when that is their mascot and the it says the legend lives, well, then, yeah, you're going to, I mean, of course you're going to, you know, propagate that myth, that urban legend. And people are, are of course, they're going to believe it because of, this is the city and the city's saying, look, well, there's the legend lives. It's on our shirts and shit. Yeah, people are going to believe it. So why should, why should they be surprised that people are asking about it? Why should they be surprised that people are believing this stuff, right? <laughs> now, I have to say that it is illegal both under New York State and New York City law to buy, sell, or own alligators without a permit. Releasing them outdoors can result in criminal charges for endangering the public. But just because it's illegal doesn't mean that people are going to obey the law, right? Many states don't even have these laws. So alligators can be bought online, for instance, and legally mailed through the Postal Service whose regulations permit the mailing of, and I quote, small, harmless, cold-blooded animals. So when an alligator is small... I guess you could consider it harmless because when it's small, I guess it is technically. It is a small, cold-blooded animal. So, yeah, harmless. Yeah, sure. I don't know. How do you mail an alligator through the postal service or anything else that's alive like that? I don't I've never. I've never tried that. I was really close one time to getting a cat from, I can't remember, somewhere out of state. And I didn't. I wonder how that would have worked out. How do you how do you mail stuff? How do you mail live stuff through the postal service? I've never... Anyway, I don't know how that would work. But apparently it does. So, there are lots of stories about post offices that are mailing people, are mailing these alligators from and to post office to post office and somehow these things escape and the post office workers have to run around trying to capture baby alligators. So, you know, so it, you can do it. I just don't know how. I don't even know if I'm that interested to even learn. I have no idea. Who cares, right? So in the past couple of decades, 
New York's had sporadic street-level sightings of alligators and even some rescues. Uh, some prominent ones include a four-foot gator that was pulled out of uh, Cassina Lake in Queens in 1997 and um, a two-foot-long caiman that was caught in Central Park in 2001. There was a three-foot gator that was found by a dog walker in Alley Pond Park in Queens in 2003. And uh, then the (laughs) park officials renamed it instead of Alley Pond Park. They started calling it Alley Gator Park. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And there was a two-foot-long baby crocodile, which is different than an alligator, but there was a two-foot-long baby crocodile that was spotted under a car in Astoria in 2010, but it couldn't be confirmed that it came from the sewer. They don't actually know where that thing came from. Now, there is a nonprofit group called the Animal Care Centers of New York City, and they run the city's animal shelters. And over the past few years, they have handled a number of alligators, somewhere between five and ten alligators in the past several years. Um, A spokeswoman for the Animal Care Center of New York City, uh, Kay Hansen, said that most of these that they rescued were pets. Some have come from the outdoors, but uh, none specifically from the sewer system. And the ones that they get are rarely over three feet in length, and they're placed in a sanctuary of some sort. And finally, in the latest news on all of this stuff, a New York man named Mark Matthewman started a GoFundMe account in July 2020 called Make Sewer Gators Real. Now, this is an absolute horrible idea, by the way. This is terrible. And on his GoFundMe site, Matthewman says, and this is a direct quote coming from his GoFundMe site, this is what he says. Like many children of the 80s, I grew up hearing stories of alligators living in the sewers of New York City. Sadly, as I learned later, these stories were pure fiction. Alligators simply cannot survive in the sewers of New York City. At least, not yet. I intend to selectively breed a new subspecies of alligator Mississippinus that is capable of of not only surviving, but thriving in the thousands of miles of tunnels under New York City. Can you believe this shit? I mean, really? Someone is actually trying to get a population of alligators in the the sewer systems of New York City? Now, Matthew Munn's monetary goal to make his childhood dream come true is $1 million. That's what it says on the GoFundMe site. And I've been, I have been, the reason I know about this, once again, doing research for this episode, and I ran across this, and it is real. I'm telling you, I was just on this GoFundMe page last night looking at it. His monetary goal 
according to his GoFundMe site, to make his childhood dream come true, $1 million. That's what he's asking for. Go fund this dude $1 million to make his childhood dream of flooding New York City's sewer system with alligators. But as of the recording of this podcast, he has raised a grand total of, are you ready? Zero dollars. That's how much he's raised so far, and it's been going for over uh, almost a year. He's been had this fundraiser going for since Ju- July of 2020. It's now March of 2021, and he's raised a grand total of zero dollars so far. And I can't say that I'm surprised by this. This is a horrible idea, and I can't even believe that the GoFundMe site has allowed this to actually exist. And this guy wants to, I I don't look, I don't know like what this dude's background is. I don't know. Maybe he's a herpetologist or something. I have no idea. Uh, For all I know, he could be an, an unemployed, I don't know, garbage worker. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what this guy does. But he wants to selectively breed uh, or create a new subspecies of alligators that's going to live in the sewers of New York City. Then, then what? What's going to happen then? And what's the the point of all of this? Just just so he can say, I'm the one that made alligators in New York City's Sewers possible? What happens if if he does this and then the alligators start eating people and shit? What happens then? Well, he's going to go to jail, obviously. Of course, the city of New York would never allow this to happen, number one. So he'd have to do it all. It all had to be done illegally, right, under the table. But this is just just a horrible idea, and uh, I'm thinking he's probably not serious, but still, to even have this on the GoFundMe page is absolutely ridiculous, and I can't believe that they've they've allowed this to exist on their page. But he's raised exactly no money, and I, I, I uh, highly suspect that that's how it's going to stay. <laughs> so in conclusion to all this, well, experts say the water in New York sewers is too cold and toxic for alligators to survive very long, especially if they're eating rats and raw sewage. Other experts say that there are quote-unquote special proteins in alligators' blood that could help it survive in the conditions found in the sewers. And they also say that alligators don't necessarily need sun to survive, and that In fact, they would actually thrive in the conditions found in the sewers and grow to immense proportions. And that is partially true because alligator, there are alligator farms. I'm assuming the alligator farms are for food consumption because we do eat alligator, right? But in the alligator farms, they do keep the alligators in complete darkness to make them grow to an immense size at a more faster rate. So it technically is 
true. It can and does happen. Now, the conditions have led to the myth of special breeds, that the lack of sunlight creates blind albino gators and a steady diet of toxic waste produces giant mutant alligators. Now, remember that uh, flattery guy that, that was the sewer chief? He said in 1990, uh, 1982 that alligators would be likely to succumb to the volume of water rushing through the mains during heavy rainfalls or to a food source that has been, well, sorry, pre-digested, so all the nutrients are gone out of it. So they're not going to be able to eat feces and, and survive, you know? So what do you think? Could alligators survive in the wretched conditions of a New York City sewer? Could you have them in the sewer system in your city, wherever it is that you're at? Could the conditions in a sewer actually make them thrive? Well, skeptics say absolutely not. Well, why is this, you ask? Why would it be unlikely for a gator to survive, get alone grow to massive lengths in the New York City sewer system? Well, primarily because... According to skeptics, alligators are reptiles, which are cold-blooded animals, meaning they cannot regulate their body temperatures on their own as mammals, warm-blooded mammals, i.e. humans, do. So we do things like sweat to cool off when we're too hot or shiver to warm up when we're too cold. In order to survive, Alligators need to warm their bodies by basking in the sun or under a, a heating lamp for several hours, which the skeptics say living in the New York City system doesn't provide, and that, that is true. This is living in the city system doesn't have heat lamps, and it doesn't have sunlight. They go on to say without the warmth of the sun, alligators end up in a state called torpor, where primary bodily functions basically all but cease. It's like a form of hibernation. So while they can survive several months in this hibernative state, like, say, during the wintertime, eventually, without some sort of exposure to the sun, that the gators would eventually die. However, I say that maybe alligators could survive in the sewers, of New York City. It's actually a lot hotter down there than you would think, around 97 degrees Fahrenheit, as a matter of fact. So alligators rely on warm weather to survive and are most active when the environment is between 82 and 92 degrees Fahrenheit. So 97 degrees is way over 92 degrees, right? So you don't need a heat lamp and you don't need the sun when you're down there in the sewer and it's 97 degrees. While alligators can survive at temperatures above and below this 82 to 92 degrees range, they may spend that time struggling to stay cool or to stay warm. But 97 degrees mm, might be a little bit too hot for them or it could be right in that good range. The problem 
with alligator survival in New York's sewers doesn't lie with temperature. It lies, as far as I'm concerned, it lies in food and breeding. You see, there isn't really enough viable food in the sewers because it consists of mostly rats and roaches and poop, and those aren't really enough to sustain a long-term alligator diet. And then you got to look at the breeding. Studies have found that in the American alligator's eggs, incubation at 93.2 degrees Fahrenheit and above produces mostly males, while incubation at at or lower uh, than 86 degrees Fahrenheit produces mostly females. So with New York's sewer system being so hot at around 97 degrees, then the offspring would be mostly males, which doesn't equate to a breeding population. And add to that, that if, and this is a big if, there were to be a breeding population of alligators in New York's sewers, female alligators can lay up to 50 eggs at a time. So if female alligators laid 50 eggs and all 50 of those eggs were viable and hatched, and if my math is right, which I'm horrible at math, but if my math is right, then that would mean that there would be somewhere around 4,000 alligators roaming around the sewer system in a mere three-year time span. So surely, if there were that many alligators in New York sewers, a lot of people would have noticed them by now, and we just simply don't have that. And no, even in the unlikely event that an alligator did manage to survive for any length of time in the cold darkness of New York City's sewer system, it wouldn't turn into an albino. Albinism is a mutation in the genetic code that occurs during the gestation process. Animals don't lose skin pigment in the absence of light and just get cranky and depressed, i.e. like the alligator, very cranky. So that, ladies and gentlemen, does it for gators in the sewer. Is it a possibility? Well, of course, anything is possible. It's like I always say here on the show, when you're thinking about things like this, you have to look at two things, possibility and probability. Is it possible? Well, yes, I think that I've proven that it is possible for an alligator to survive, at least for a short amount of time in the sewer. But is it probable? Probably not. So that concludes this episode of Parareality. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode. Let me know what your ideas and thoughts about it are. Send me that email, sandman at parareality.com. Or get in touch with me through my social media accounts. Parareality page on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Or hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. My username on both of those is at Radio. That's at Radio. You can also call that studio line here in the bunker at 615-692-1170 and leave me a message. 
Also, be sure to check out parareality.com because that's a place where you can keep up on not only all episodes of Parareality here, but the latest and greatest paranormal news from all around the world. I've got an entire page of the website devoted to paranormal news, and the content is updated almost on a daily basis. So if you're a paranormal news junkie, just go to parareality.com, click on the Para News tab, and you can get informed on the latest in paranormal news from all around the world. And while you're there, you might as well also take a look in the Parareality store, do some shopping, buy some swag, help support this podcast if you can please you can also watch some of the terrible show videos that are made for the show over the years and i i updated the site back in january to try to make it a little bit more user friendly and add some content and some more pages and i I think the the way that the website is turned out now is much more user friendly and it's uh it's a lot better so check it out parareality.com and, you know, if you're one of those people that don't really do social media or you don't have like a Facebook account or you don't have a Twitter account or you don't have an Instagram account, but you like and you like the show and you want to follow me on social media, but you don't really want to create an account just to follow the podcast, don't worry about it because I've got you covered on that. So speaking of parareality.com, there's now an entire page of the website devoted to solely to my social media accounts. That's right, baby. Every Facebook post that I make, tweet that I tweet out, or Instagram picture can be found right there on the website, on the social media page. So you don't have to create a social media account if you don't want to. Social media, though, that's where you can find out a lot about what's happening on the scenes, behind the scenes, should I say, of the podcast because that's where I post a lot of interesting articles, show topics, and other interesting stuff like my travels and investigations. Uh, Parareality.com is really like your one-stop shopping for everything that's going on in the parareality world. And like I said, you got paranormal news from all around the world updated almost daily. It's your one-stop shop for a lot of things paranormal. So be sure to check out www parareality.com do it often shop in the parareality store help support this podcast help me keep bringing you quality content because I love doing the podcast and hey if I can keep doing it and I can have a little help doing it that would be great speaking of the podcast parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station just search for parareality and if you got a smart speaker, you can listen on that too. If you got any of the uh, podcast skills activated on your device, you just say, hey, play the Parareality podcast. And if you want to see some videos and stuff, I've got a YouTube account, and you can, you can watch some, some show videos, and you can actually listen to the podcast there too because I upload all of the audio for each episode to my YouTube account. YouTube's full of some great videos like uh, UFO and paranormal documentaries, 
my news segment that I did a couple of times called uh, News of the Strange. We're going to try to get that back. I don't know that I'm ever going to bring it back, but I'm, I may. And it's also got those terrible show videos that I did on my very short-lived web TV show that I did. Tried to do that by myself, and it turned out horrible, but I got the, the videos up there for your viewing pleasure. So to find the channel, just go to youtube.com slash user slash parareality with a number one out behind it. So that's youtube.com slash user slash parareality1. And I also have a Patreon account for the podcast, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support, and all are extremely affordable, $5 a month or less. Each level offers exclusive content, along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host on the podcast. So to learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash parareality and uh, check it out. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing this podcast. I do not pocket any money that I make off of that or out of my parareality shop. I take all that money and I go, I put it right back into this podcast because this costs me money to do. So if I can help, if you can help me keep creating content for this this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. I make zero dollars off of anything from Patreon or the Pair Reality store. So head on over there to pairreality.com, buy some swag, or go on over to patreon.com slash parareality and join the agents of chaos, K-A-O-S, knowledgeable apprentices of Sandman. All right, everybody, that about does it for my rambling. I am out of here. The next episode of Parareality is going to air on, let's see, what does the calendar say here? I look at the calendar. So this is the March 19th episode, right? So the next episode of Parareality is going to air on Friday, April the 2nd, 2021 at 8 o'clock p.m., U.S. Central Time, so make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out on Friday, April the 2nd. Man, I hope that this podcast opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, wonderful weekend, and I will see you again in a couple of weeks. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. <laughs>